0: Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. We like to think of films we watch as the singular vision of uncompromising artists. But if there's a movie playing at your local cineplex, chances are the studio behind it showed it to a test audience before its release and made changes based on their input. The art and science of conducting this kind of research is the subject of a new book, Audienceology from Kevin Getz, who's been at the forefront of audience testing for more than 30 years. Coming up next, we'll learn from the master on this episode of Strictly Business.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer.
3: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
0: Welcome back to Strictly Business, where I'm talking to Kevin Getz, author of the new book, Audienceology. He's the founder and CEO of Screen Engine ASI, a leading specialist in audience testing for movies. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Kevin. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, Kevin.
3: It's my absolute pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here, Andrew.
0: Great. So what struck me most about reading your book was I could never do your job in a million years because you have to do something that's exceedingly difficult you have to tell very powerful people that what they've worked so hard on for years has flaws that they're not seeing. I mean, that's like telling a parent their child is ugly. How do you do this? What is, uh, you know, what is your style when you're sort of breaking what could be bad news to important executives and artists?
3: Well, you're exactly right. That's, that's what it is. It, I, I often feel like the doctor coming out and having to, give the prognosis or the diagnosis. And, you know, often it's, if you don't change the DNA of your, um, of your child, uh, you're going to um, have, um, he he or she is going to have a very rough life or your child is absolutely nearly perfect and uh, don't do a thing. Uh, But I always Adopt this attitude of finding the thing that is special or terrific about a movie, and there's always something. There's always something, and it could be, you know, the passion behind it. It could be the fact that um, there's tremendous goodwill, and uh, there could be a, a reason that is the a, a filmmaking style. And I'll focus on that so that people really will tune in and listen to the next part of the conversation, which is often the hard truth.
0: So it sounds like you're more of a diplomat than say, I, I, I wondered if you were almost more like a Simon Cowell type that, you know, here's the blunt truth, no matter what the uh, damage, but you're not that.
3: Well, I, I, I kind of am known for my candor, quite frankly, but candor with kindness, I think would be how people would describe me and my, uh, postmortems or my after, uh, post discussions after the screenings, I will also mention that it's important to understand that as as an artist myself, as somebody who comes from a creative background and understands the language of film, I can speak to filmmakers, particularly filmmakers, in a certain way that they can hear. I don't come out like waving a report card or coming out and saying, you know, this is how it is. This is the truth. I'm coming out and I'm, I'm less of a diplomat, more of a conciliary or, a, or, or trying to be a, a partner to them and say, look, I understand this is your baby. And there's a sensitivity I think I bring to the table. I'd like to think I do. Sure. In this book, you interview
0: many of the top studio executives, producers, directors you've worked with over the years. Uh, Jason Blum, Ron Howard, Chris Melodandri writes The Forward, just to name a few. Uh, So it's it's not just this book is not just about hearing from you about how important audience testing is, but from the people that hand their movies over to you. And so I was curious, was it difficult to get them to even speak in this book, given so much about this kind of research is pretty shrouded in secrecy?
3: It's a great question because it was challenging. First of all, I can't reveal um, many of the truths that are in the book because I'm under strict confidentiality agreements. And if I still, knowing if I still wanted a business that was, that people could trust me and, 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 uh and knew that I was not going to talk out of school, uh, other people had to tell their stories, if you will, with my commentary mixed in throughout. But, yeah, you know, um, studio executives were probably the least transparent. Uh, Producers were probably the most transparent, and also directors uh, studio executives, for obvious reasons, I mean, they they don't they want to and need to, if, particularly if they're still working, need to uh, be more diplomatic. The directors and producers uh, typically are uh, ha- had shown more candor and more uh, more um, wearing their sort of emotions on their sleeve, if you will, and they they were better interviews, quite frankly.
0: Which isn't to say that this is I wouldn't call this a dishy book because. Yes, you are somewhat restricted in what you could say. As I read this, I kind of felt to myself, there's probably a whole other book we'll never get to read that has so much of what you can say. Nevertheless, there's still a lot of meat on the bone. You, are, you actually get into a lot of movies and what they could have looked like were it not for your intervention. I'm thinking about... So many anecdotes in this book about Fatal Attraction, Thelma and Louise, Monster-in-Law, Cocktail, uh, you know, how are you even able to get that much out there, I wondered.
3: The truth is, is that, um, oh boy, uh, I could have chosen uh, any number of movies to be the sort of examples, right? But I chose some odd movies and some really big movies and some small movies. Really, what is most important about the book is that these examples of movies illustrate the points I'm trying to make and the different, the different challenges and issues that arise during the test screening process. Right. So that made it. Um, kind of an eclectic bunch of films.
0: Sure. I mean, and, you know, you tell stories like this, uh, you tell like the Tom Cruise story, and it's an example of how people in the creative community really appreciate what you do. But what I want to understand, and I'm not asking you to name names here, is I'm curious to get a sense of the proportion, meaning for every creative director, producer, whatnot, who really appreciates what you do. How many don't? Because I could imagine there's got to be people that just don't believe in the testing process because they're
3: artists. Uh, it's um, probably, if I had to put a percentage to it, probably, um, probably one out of 10 have a real disdain for it. Um, and <clears throat> the rest tolerate it. But I would say that four or five out of 10 really embrace it. And those are the filmmakers, obviously, I enjoy working with most. And many of those filmmakers are some of our best filmmakers, our greatest filmmakers. They are not afraid to hear the unfettered truth. It's a bit of a difficult question for me to answer. I'd like to think I'm very respected. I think I've earned that right in that place. And I got to be honest, uh, I like so many people in our business and I get along with so many of them. I love this business. I breathe it. I've devoted my life to it for 35 years. And, you know, the people in it who have gotten these very, you know, specific, and difficult jobs to land are super talented. Like they don't get it for, you know, every now and then someone fails upwards as they say, but essentially these people are the best of the best. And there's a trust and a sense of, um, of, of, you know, deep um, appreciation for everyone succeeding that they know my, Heart and my head and my intentions are always to get them to that place. I don't have some secret intention where I have to take credit for something. I am like a channeler or a, you know, a, a, a to from the audience to the to the um, filmmaker or the studio.
0: We're talking to Kevin Getz, author of the new book *Audienceology*. We'll be back in just a minute.
1: Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
3: Let's take a moment to breathe.
2: Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, everyone. This is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts.
0: It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting.
2: Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more.
0: Here's a clip from an upcoming episode
2: featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to
0: miss
2: Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Grown up stuff. And we're back with more with Kevin Getz. He is the CEO and founder of the company Screen Engine ASI and the author of a new book all about movie audience testing called Audienceology. Kevin, I'm curious. Do you ever encounter movies where there's just nothing that can be done? It's beyond repair, and you're put in a position to have to say something like that, or is there always a bright side?
3: Ah, oh, wow it's a uh, it's a terrific question, Andrew. Again, and uh, yes, it happens. Usually, it happens because there's a flaw in the DNA of the movie. Okay, it happens because. It was ill-conceived in some form or fashion. It was um, it was from the get-go a, fl- a flawed character. Uh, it was from the get-go it had a structure and uh, stakes that were not high enough or strong enough to propel the movie. And it's really difficult to shoot, reshoot, shoot uh, around that cut around that. Those are the most difficult conversations. Because the studios are so good at what they do and are they don't they, they usually make movies that are an A or a B grade more than a C D or an F. A lot of the independents make more of a C D or F than they ever make A's or B's. And I use this because we use normative data to to sort of benchmark everything, right? And a norm is a C, a C grade. And most studio movies test norms or above because there's so much, so many resources, maybe the greatest talent, whatever it may be, those uh, and the development folks and production folks who are involved in those uh, creates a much better chance of success. And usually you don't have major DNA problems with studios you do with some of the indies who are more auteur in, in sort of, in a way and are, um, have done something that is a quote unquote passion project. Um, uh, you know, I have a saying, and this is important and worthy. And I think this might also speak to why, um, uh, most people that are creatives, um, listen to what I have to say, every movie, if made and marketed for the right price should make money. And when I say that, here's what I mean. If you understand before you shoot a frame of film, before those cameras roll, you know what you have and you've sized your audience correctly, as well as you can and comp the movie correctly, It's very difficult to fail. The problem is, is that most people don't know how to go about this. Most people don't know how to assess the size of their audience going in. Most people don't know how to assess truly comp a movie correctly. They comp it to what they think is aspirational comping. They, they want it to be this, but it's not that.
0: We're having this conversation at a time where the movie business is really going through a big transition. Uh, Quite simply, many movies aren't viewed in theaters anymore.
3: You got it. You got it. So what What
0: does that mean for your business?
3: Tremendous impact. So we also measure what the we call it, I guess, theatrical worthiness is of a movie prior to shooting the film, because you obviously can not understand the what the visual elements are going to be, what the chemistry is going to be, all of those things. But you can assess enough to say, does this have the innate ingredients to warrant a theatrical, or should this go more towards a streaming situation? I love streaming movies. I am more right now uh, seeing more content online, like many of us are, not just because of of uh, the pandemic, but there's just so many so much good stuff out there, you know, and to be able to advise a client early on that this is the right path versus this is a big economic distinction, isn't it? Because a movie that is going theatrical from its from the inception has to also account for the tremendous sign to that movie. But if you go in with the notion that this is really a movie that's going to be on a streamer. You cannot make it for the same price necessarily, necessarily, if you're hoping to sell it to the streamer. The streamers have their own algorithms. I'm talking about people that are sort of selling it to a streamer. Those economics are very different. So you've got to know what you have. And if you do, that's why uh, you'll, you'll, you'll most likely be successful. That's why I'm a big proponent right now of the studios bifurcating themselves, truly within production departments, knowing that, you know, you have a you have one um, uh, kind of movie that has a clearer path this way and one different movie that has a clearer path this way. Now, that doesn't mean that once the movie that was relegated to be the streamer uh, and now you test it and it tests incredibly well and the recruit ratio, the, the number of people it takes to to get one person into a seat is, is not particularly difficult. Uh, and you've also... Um, cut a trailer and found out that people are gaga over it, suddenly you have all these different elements that might speak to a theatrical release. Well, in that case, go to the studio and make a case, a business case of why this should go theatrical, not the other way around. Because it's very hard to say, well, we're not going to go theatrical on this one because typically many people have made that movie for too much money. And sort of have to then go on and carry it through, if that makes sense, Andrew.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, look, you have this process that's pretty tried and true in theaters, people, uh, you know, filling out forms and saying what they like. I, I've read a bit over the years, though, about like neurological tools that could be used to assess reactions, uh, heart rate, uh, where people's eyes are. Are we ever going to get to a place where testing will, will go that route?
3: Well, we're there. We're there. Uh, we um, two things I'll mention on that. First of all, we. Biometrics is the name of the, uh, ah. the, of the area, and. I am a big believer in anything that can help my clients get better information and tell a better story. So biometrics in and of by themselves, in and of themselves in and of itself usually doesn't tell a full enough story. We have dials that we use mostly in the television business and in shorter content. That's sort of conscious, um, you know, measurement along with questionnaires, et cetera, that alone doesn't tell the story. But when you overlay these things and add them together, it tells a very rich story. So our dial testing facility is really successful because of that. And so many television programs on the streamers and and uh, linear networks and cable stations and cable networks all participate in this we also have added a bracelet similar to a fitbit that was invented by sony electronics who came to me and said we would like you we would like to partner with you and do this biometric exercise we've been beta testing for a while and we made a deal and so in partnership with sony electronics screen engine asi is now adding a biometric technique To flesh out the stories in a more complete way. And in fact, they measure sort of a galvanic skin response or a um, kind of a a, a pulse heart rate, a facial recognition, and an audio recognition. All of those things, and, and you don't even know it's on you. So it's not like you've got wires coming out and it, you know, it's very, very scalable. So we use this with our, um, findings to round out the story. And it's very fascinating what you see, because sometimes someone will say something like, you know, I didn't like that sex scene. Uh, And in fact, the numbers are going crazy subconsciously, because they're really invested in it. And you go, okay, you know, you know, you've heard, I've used this example a lot, like, I didn't like the sleepwalking scene in Macbeth. You know, and it's like, what are you going to cut the scene? Walk, sleepwalk is one of the most famous scenes in the history of what they're really saying is I didn't like the lead up. I didn't like the, the way it, it was, um, maybe it was overwrought, but you have to know, this is the part of the sensitivity of what I do. I've got to do earnestly give the best information. It's not, Oh yeah, we like these scenes. We don't like these scenes. It's more than that. It's, Why are they saying that? What's behind it? And to your point, the biometrics and the dials, and uh, then the discussion groups, the qualitative exercises that we do, the focus groups we do after screenings, all give color to the story, to the quantitative research. Does that make sense? It does. I hope I'm not too. I hope I'm not too technical here.
0: No, no, no. It's an interesting walkthrough of all the different tools. What I'm curious about, though. Is at the end of the day, in 2020, going into two, does every single movie, whether studio or indie, have testing in it um, or could you ballpark it? Well, it's just 90 percent. Some this studio maybe doesn't do any of this. I'm just curious to get a sense of how crucial these tools are to the average movie.
3: Well, most movies test. Not all, uh, though. Not all. There's a few filmmakers uh, that don't uh, test, and they I can count them on one hand.
0: And were you to disclose who they were, my guess is we'd both be wearing cement shoes at the bottom of the correct, ocean. Correct. <laughs> correct.
3: But I don't, uh, I don't um, obviously uh, share their um, their opinions about that. Many of the films that I've seen that come from some filmmakers who don't test uh, could have really been um, their movies could have been benefited greatly by uh, audience uh, test research. Again, it's not maybe in the wrong hands. You can, you can uh, work with folks who can dumb it down and make it very base, but we work in a very sophisticated way at Screen Engine SI and, and, and I take it very seriously. So nothing is just, well, they didn't, you know, it's a romantic comedy. They need more comedy, needs more romance. I mean, like, that's not what it's about. So, uh, so going back to your question, 95% of every movie that's widely released in Hollywood goes through a test. And... We do a lion's share of that work. So we work with every, everyone uh, and every studio and, uh, and, and uh, service, s- subscription service. And, you know, the scri- subscription services are less concerned about the numbers because the legs, which is really what everyone is chasing. Which Explain
0: is- what you mean by legs.
3: The legs mean the longevity, the longevity of how a movie stays in a theater or how long a movie stays in a theater. And that's based on the word of mouth or the what we call the all-important definite recommend. We ask audiences, we ask the questionnaires, would you definitely recommend this, probably recommend it, probably not, or definitely not. And those who say definitely is the only box we really look at. We've actually added measurements to define... With indefinite, what's the passion or advocacy index within that score, which we are doing with some clients? Because it's, everyone likes everything and a lot of people will say definite, but they don't necessarily mean that's a call to action. So we're trying to gauge what's that call to action. Will I actually leave my home and go see this, for example? So those, that word of mouth is so very important. It's also important in the streaming services, streaming world or for the streaming services as well. But the cadence of the distribution pattern is so different that it's not as crucial as a full-out theatrical um, run where you're so dependent on your multiple. Meaning if a, if a movie opens at, say, $10 million and you have a three-times multiple, it does $30 million in its domestic life, for example, Right. If the numbers, let's say, are 20 points above the norm, so you're in a B plus, A minus category, you may be looking at a four times multiple, which would be substantially higher, right, Uh, or or substantially uh, more successful financially than if you were 20 points below the norm. And you may only have a two times multiple because there's a direct correlation between the multiple of a movie and its playability, definite recommend word of mouth, score we don't do this to torture filmmakers, there is an actual business sense behind this, we, we, we're trying to get and milk as much as we can out of something, now there comes a time often where I'll say you know I believe you've gone the, 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 the is cast in other words, the DNA of this movie is what it is, I mentioned that few times during this conversation the dna so it's it, it's it is it is set and so you really are not going to ever get change the, the the nature of the movie um and that comes from usually the issues that i mentioned earlier that they're just you you can't make chemistry right you can't often can't reshoot chemistry does that make sense but you can reshoot an ending that feels like you haven't completely satisfied an audience because they're let down both. Maybe they're intellectually not let down, but emotionally they're let down and they need that extra punch at the end. Sometimes it's literally a punch, at the end. <laughs> you know,
0: one last question for you. I, personally, I wonder, are you able to just enjoy a movie or can you ever quite take your sort of audience testing hat and just be an average movie fan?
3: Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I can never be. I, I wouldn't even know how to how to answer that. I um, I have a, uh, a, a wonderful theater in my own home, and I have to say when I bring my friends and and uh, and family and to watch a movie at home, I'm looking at them and watching their reactions. The highest compliment I can always give is when I have a degree of emerge, immersion. immersion where I forget to look at the audience. When I uh, test a movie, I sit uh, in the aisle where people enter on a, on a folding chair. I don't sit within the audience because I spend my head, at, I, have, I think I must have really strong neck muscles because I'm moving back and forth, looking at the audience, trying to gauge uh, implicit response anecdotal information that I can add again, color to the uh, reporting that I, that I give the clients. And uh, there's a lot you can learn from watching folks. So uh, yeah, and also the temperature of the theater, I'm always, uh, you know, it's too warm, it's too cold. You know, we want everyone to be comfortable and I'm always watching uh, 17 different things to make sure that the experience is a really good one. Someone drops a bottle, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, stadium seating and it's going boom, 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 boom down, the, you know, and our security guys are running towards it or women are running towards it and they're grabbing the bottle and they're picking it up because it distracts from what the, what the action is on screen. And, um, it's a test environment. You know, I want it to be as fair as possible.
0: Sure. Well, Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time out to walk me through 35 years of work in the business, and it's resulted in a pretty interesting book in audienceology. Thank you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing.